Our modern American culture basically denies that there is a God in heaven who will judge sexual sin, and it doesn't seem to have much of a problem with being lazy and living off the labor of others. Turn with our study leader, Dave Wordson, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul has no problem telling us God's perspective on these issues that also seem to be prevalent in ancient Greece. Many years ago, I think Mary and I had been married about six months, we went down to Nashville, Tennessee, and for a week under the Southwestern Company, we were trained by probably the best communicators I've ever heard. I mean, for a week, they took several thousand kids, college students, and they trained us how to be able to knock on Mrs. Jones's door, and we were trained how to knock and then turn our back so Mrs. Jones wouldn't be upset, and we'd say, hello there, my name is Dave Wurtson, and I was just visiting, and I would give about 30 names of all your friends that you've been visiting, and they're really excited about what I have, and then I would get in your door, and I'd sell you a Nave's Topical Bible, or I would sell you a Family Bible Library. Well, what we did is Mary and I, we ended up with a big travel trailer. Some guys went with us. We drove across the Mojave Desert, and we ended up in L.A. We dropped off three other guys that traveled out there with us. One of the guys had a big cello. We just dropped him on the street with his cello, and he had to figure out a place to stay. Incredibly funny stories, but we ended up staying with a home after many other places. One day I was in Corona, California, and somebody from another city happened to be there. There were some connections back east. And so Mary and I ended up staying in this beautiful engineer's home. He had a beautiful pool in the back, and it was just incredible. We stayed there for about eight weeks and were able to make the money we needed to go to college the next year because my dad said, you can get married whenever you want to, but when you get married, you're going to have to pay the bills. And so that's what I was doing. So every morning about 7 o'clock, this engineer got up. And he headed up the freeway, bucking the traffic in L.A., and he would go to his work. I would be knocking on my first door at 8.30, and I would have 50 cards on my hand. I'd have a map, and I would go even in the 105-degree heat in that area of Southern California. I mean, I'd be knocking on doors, you know, hitting it from about 8.30 be my first door. I wouldn't get home till about 10.30 at night. Mary, during the day, I would keep getting references and names. Mary would take all those names, find out where they lived, map it out, kind of like a military planner, and she would have me all mapped up so I would know how to be able to go out the next day. She was also making sure our book inventory was right, making sure that our books were right, using all those incredible administrative gifts. So everyone's involved in this home, but this family had a 21-year-old son. He got up about 10.30 in the morning. His mom would have his breakfast ready for him. Then it was time for him to watch his TV shows. And he would watch his TV shows till about 3.30 when he would join Mary around the pool and have a chat with Mary. After Mary had finished doing all of her mapping out and everything, she had some time before dinner. Then he'd eat a, his mom's dinner. Then he would go out and he partied all night. He went out from one club to the next in the Southern California area he would come back home the next day and boast about his sexual exploits. What's wrong with this picture? And so some of you have the idea that the idea of older kids, really young adults, mooching off their parents is a brand new thing. Well, that was years and years and years ago. Now, the question I want to ask you as you think about that situation 
of here's a believing family. They're gracious. They love the Lord Jesus. They've taken strangers into their home. They are their brothers and sisters in Christ, but they couldn't be more gracious to us. But they have a son who's totally immoral and totally lazy. What would the Apostle Paul say to a family like that? Well, we get a chance to find out. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is a very practical teacher, and he looks at the Thessalonian church, and, and he's commended them, he's blessed them, he has talked to them about their incredible witness. But when we get to chapter 4, he needs to give them instruction. And those that love you, I want every one of you to know that those that really love you will instruct you, and they'll be willing to go against your behavior when it's going to destroy you. And in our culture, the idea is that you don't ever do that. You don't ever do that as a parent. You don't ever do that as a pastor. And that's why our culture, and it includes right here among believers, we're self-destructive. The Apostle Paul in chapter 4 is going to give us instruction really strong, authoritative commands. And he says, this is a command from Jesus. You need to obey it. It's not just up for grabs. So let's see how he introduces that. He's going to give them strong instructions. All you dads need to listen in because you'll get a lot of insight into how do you work with your kids, both your younger kids and your adult kids. You moms need to listen in because you're going to be involved in that as well. If you're a school teacher, you'll learn a lot about how you take authority. And you school teachers, a lot of you know how to do it really well because you'd self-destruct if you didn't. But the Apostle Paul is a godly man, and he begins by communicating his union, his love, his care for the Thessalonian believers. He's united with them. Notice what he says. He says, finally, brothers, I want you to know that Paul's gotten a bad rap. All of my life I've heard, this is like any other preacher. When a preacher says finally, it means that he got another 25 minutes to go. And all the preachers I've known had said, well, see, that's what Paul is doing. No, and, and that's not what the finally means here. Paul isn't saying, like, I finished my message, but I really haven't finished it. I don't know how to land the airplane, so let's go on a little bit longer. What Paul is now saying, he's actually saying, and now for what I need to talk to you about. I've laid the groundwork. I've established relationship, and I have blessed you, and I've thanked the Lord for you, and I've reminded you of your testimony. Now I need to talk to you about some tough issues. It's a great lesson for mom and dad to learn. It's a great lesson for me to learn. You see, if you don't respond to me as a person relationally, if you don't think I love you, then you're not going to listen. And one of my responsibilities as a pastor teacher is to try to connect with you, to try to communicate that I love you. And that's what the Apostle Paul has been doing. He's talked about their history with them. So as you're working with people, you want to remind them, and you want to do this with your family, remind them of good times you've had in the past, about the closeness you have. You want to remind them about the flow of family relationships. But now Paul is saying, now for what I need to talk to you about, my brothers, notice he's very relational and includes all of you sisters in, but I think we shouldn't lose the, the, the biblical stress because in the New Testament, the church flows from families. Our culture doesn't buy it anymore that men really should have responsibility for leadership in their family. 
and it's totally out of it to say that that's true, but I want you to know that the scripture is really, really clear that every one of you men, if you're a daddy, if you're a husband, then God holds you responsible. You're the pilot in command in your family. Your wife might be the president of the United States, but when you walk into your home, the Lord God in heaven says you're the pilot in command, which means you're responsible for the direction of this family, for what's happening in this family. So the Apostle Paul says, brothers, because to be honest with you, I think most of my sisters readily have an open heart. Most of my sisters really want to do what the Lord wants to do. And a lot of them just long for the one that's supposed to take responsibility to do it. And often, they're not doing it. So I want to keep the thrust. Paul actually uses the word that includes sisters, but he really has a focus on the man's side. That's where he's focusing. We don't want to lose that in our politically correct 21st century. We need to think about the implication of that in God's inspired word. For finally, my brothers, we instructed you, and he uses a really strong word. This isn't just you can take it or leave it. This might be a good idea. This is a strong word. We commanded you. We gave you authoritative construction. And he says, I gave you this instruction how to live in order to please God. So how are you supposed to live today? If I ask the Apostle Paul, who are you trying to please? The Apostle Paul is saying, if you've come to know Christ as your Savior, then the primary purpose of your life is what we learned the last time we were together, that we can really live, if we live this day, to please the Lord. Your culture tells you that you live to please yourself. You live to have really strong, pleasurable experiences, strong sexual experiences that bring pleasure to your body, strong drinking experiences that help you forget the agony of life where you can have a shalom that comes through ethanol. Your culture tells you that you have a right to be able to go out and enjoy what you want to be able to do and do your thing. Just like my friend in California, he was living to please himself. Who are you living to please for? Who am I living to please for? Paul couldn't be clear. He says, if you really have come to know Christ as your Savior, then you will live because the Spirit of God is, is working your life. You live to please God. And I want to just bless you in doing that because he says, and as you're doing. Many of you in this room, like you wouldn't be here sitting and listening to the Word of God unless part of you, a really strong part of you, in fact, if you're a born-again believer, it's a true part of you, you're here today because you are seeking to please God. And I want to bless you in that. The Apostle Paul isn't doesn't have this idea, like some of you have been raised where it's always negative. I'm always screwing up, and you feel guilty, and your guilt doesn't really help you because it's false guilt, because you don't rest in what the Spirit of God is doing in your life. I want you to know that as Paul speaks to the Thessalonians, he doesn't yell at them. He doesn't rant at them. He's not like a vindictive father that's always angry. He's commending them. The truth of the matter is I speak to you this morning. Most of you in this room want to please God, right? There's, you really want to be able to serve him. You want to be able to listen to the Lord's command. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, in fact, most of you Thessalonians, he's saying, are in fact seeking to please the Lord. Now we ask you, but Paul goes on there. He says, now we ask you and you, we urge you, and he builds his words 
Paul's got fire and conviction and strength. If you're a daddy, you need to know how to urge your kids. You need to know how to really give them strong exhortation. And the Apostle Paul is modeling that. Because I urge you, and it's in the Lord Jesus. So Paul is saying, my authority isn't coming from me. It's coming from the Lord Jesus himself. He says, I want you to keep living to please the Lord under the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now, I urge you to do this more and more. So this morning, the Apostle Paul is saying, if you're seeking to please the Lord, you want to be growing more and more and more as you're moving your life daily. You should be trying to live to please the Lord more and more. So I ask myself, Dave, do you want to please the Lord more? Is your lifestyle pleasing the Lord more today than yesterday? Which direction are you going in? And you should ask yourself that. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Most of the time as believers and most audiences that I speak to, you already know. In fact, to be honest with you, what I'm going to talk to you all today, most of you already know it. And that's an important thing as you're working with people. You know, most people deep inside of you can get rid of the manipulation, get rid of the pride and everything. Most of us deep in our soul know what we're supposed to do. Isn't that right? In fact, most of you, myself included, we don't really mess up because we don't know. No. I work with some people that they're not exposed to anything, biblical, Jesus. But when, I, when they come to know Jesus and then you teach them about Jesus, most of them just take to it like a duck in water. They're just thrilled to death. They're saying, man, no one ever told us. I've screwed my life up for 30 years. And man, I wish someone would have told me that. Man, I know how bad it is on the other side. And so they just take off listening to the command of the Lord, and then you can remind them. Paul had just been with his group of believers for a short period of time, but he'd already communicated what we're going to find out. He already communicated strong principles about sexual purity, which is the first thing he wants to talk to them about. Look what he says in the next verse. He says, it is God's will. And this is the very first thing that Paul is talking to you about. If you have received Jesus as your Savior, if you are living to please God, then that is going to influence the way that you behave sexually. The Apostle Paul is saying, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, that's one of those four, you know, those big high-dollar religious words. One of the debates we have in our church is, is this the sanctuary? Now, what do we mean by that? In your heart, you desire to have holy places. And those are the places where God really shows up. So there's a great movement, especially among my younger friends that were raised in churches like ours where we meet in gyms. They want to go to beautiful cathedrals because they're longing for the sacred. They're longing for the transcendent. And you all understand that. What it means, like the word sanctuary is a word that means sanctus, holy, Latin holy. And this is the place where God is especially present and where we can meet him. Does that make sense? When Jesus came, the Lord Jesus allowed the Jewish temple to be torn down. That was the last place on earth that the Lord said, this is holy ground. This is where the sacrifices need to take place. This is the temple. 
And the Lord allowed the Romans to turn that down. You say, well, I mean, that's a horrible thing. We need to build those holy places all over the world, which is what we've done. And what I want you to realize is it's a very powerful idea. You're the sanctuary. Did you hear what I just said? I have younger friends that tell me, I want to be able to go to the holy place because I live in secular territory. I understand that. And I want to be able to get close to God. I want to be in a special place where I'm close to God. What I want you to know is you're the holy place that goes out into the secular world. you understand that? It's a very important idea because you start to get this idea that I can go to a holy place and then I can leave the holy place. So what we do is we gather together in beautiful, beautiful cathedrals and we're holy. But then we can leave and we can act like the devil. And we get in this push and pull. Like my Roman Catholic friends, right before Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, that was the period before that was carnival time. And that's when you exploded. That's when you went to New Orleans and you were immoral and you were out on Bourbon Street and you looked at prostitutes. And then you had Ash Wednesday. We put some dirt on your head and now you abstain from that stuff for a while because you're getting ready for the holy time. And it's a rhythm of secular, party, dirty, Bad jokes, bad sexual experiences, sin. Have a good time, because that's where you have a good time. And now we go to the holy place, and we prepare for the holy place. I want you to understand that Paul doesn't want you to get into that false rhythm. It's wrong. You're the holy place. And he talks to us about a very nitty-gritty thing. He talks to us about, are we pure? Are we set apart do we view our bodies as the holy place where God dwells? Look what he says. He says that I want each one of you, it's God's will for you to recognize that you're the holy place, for you to be a holy person. Be holy as I am holy. And then he gets down to the nitty-gritty. I can almost see somebody in Thessalonian church raising their hand and saying, hey, what are you talking about, Paul? And Paul said, do you want me to tell you what I'm talking about? He says, you need to avoid, you need to keep yourself away you need to be totally uninvolved. You need to abstain from all kinds of sexual immorality. Now, this is where it gets really hard. Your culture tells every one of you that your identity and your personhood and who you are is that you need to freely express yourself sexually. And for you not to be able to do that is one of the most stupid one of the most evil, one of the most heinous things that anyone can ever keep you to do. Your culture holds that you worship the desires of your body. So, for example, if I'm a young teenager and I start being attracted towards the opposite sex, then I need to be able to express that. And my adults will help me to do that, quote, quote, safely. You understand what I'm saying? I want you to understand as a believer where that's coming from. It comes from, I live, I worship the desires of your body. There's some of you sitting here saying, if my body feels it, in order to be true to myself, I need to express it. And I just want to tell you, from the depth of my heart, that will kill you. So you need to think really hard. I'm just being honest with you. The Lord is telling you, if you have received Jesus as your Savior, 
and you've been born again, then the only place that you can have sex is in marriage. Do you hear what I just said? What the Word of God is saying is marriage is honorable in all things, and marital intercourse is undefiled. But God will judge those who have sex outside of marriage. Now, I didn't say that, and I know that our culture rejects them. Then some of you say, well, Dave, boy, we live in a different time. Uh-uh. When Paul gave those words to the church of Thessalonica, all of their friends, instead of going to Sunday school, and they didn't live in Midlothian where your kids go from one vacation Bible school to the next, in their culture, you went to worship, and your worship was to sleep with a sacred prostitute. That was how you believed you brought fertility to your city. Everybody did it. The Greek philosophers will say, you'll have a man in the Greco-Roman world say, I have a wife to bear my legitimate children. I have concubines to meet my normal needs sexually. And then I have a mistress for pleasure. And that's accepted morality. Now, to be really fair to the Greco-Romans, you have counter voices because God doesn't leave us without a witness in our conscience. So even in the Roman Greek world, I'll have Romans and Greek that say this isn't working. In fact, that was the attraction to come to know Jesus and to begin to join the synagogues before they had the gospel of Jesus Christ because they realized, you know, when you're sexually immoral long enough, it starts to kill you. You die inside. So I want you to hear really clearly, I want you moms and dads to be really strong. You need to teach your kids from the time they're a little bitty kid. Sex is a good gift from the Lord. Your body is a holy thing. It's God's dwelling place. Your heavenly father is the one that created sexuality. And his will for you is that you always realize that your body is a holy place. And you only exercise it sexually in obedience to his command. And that the meaning of life isn't in your sexual passion. It's an obedience to the Lord. And you're going to decide whether you believe that's true or not. Now he develops it a little bit. Look what the Apostle Paul says. He says, okay, I want each one of you to control, to take possession of your own vessel. The word there is literally vessel. And it's not just the word there. There is a normal Greek word, soma, which means body. The Apostle Paul is really focusing attention on your sexual parts. And he uses a beautiful word to describe it. He calls it your vessel. He's saying every one of you men and women have sexual parts of your body. And he says he wants you to control those things. Now, I want all of you to understand, is that what our culture tells us? Freud will tell you that's the beginning of all malfunction psychologically. It's because you're repressed sexually that you have all the screwballiness in your life. So what you do if you just freely express yourself sexually and you give vent to your passions, we'll all live happily ever after. Do you buy that? You hear that all the time. Almost every movie you see, that's what people do. Almost everything your kids are exposed to. You combine two powerful things, incredible sexual attraction with violence, with the threat of violence, and I got you. Like if I want to plug you in to a wall socket, if I can combine those two things, your incredible urges sexually, especially in early adolescence, 
And if I can get tremendous danger involved in that, then I got you. And as a parent, you need to ask yourself, what am I learning? And you say, well, man, it's an incredible story. Yeah, it's an incredible story. Yeah. But you need to think about what's happening inside of me. What, what am I believing? What am I trusting? Is it teaching me how to control myself in my sexual desires? And the Apostle Paul is very clear. I want you to learn how to take possession, how to take control of your sexual desires. And so you only use them to please the Lord. He goes on and says this. He says, I want you to, tr- to control your own body, take possession of them, exercise self-control in a way that is holy, that is holy, set apart by the Lord, and that also treats them with value. That's what the word honorable means. It means that you treat them with value. One of the things I want all of you as parents to get across, I want all the kids to listen to me. Sex in our society is treated cheap. Our culture treats sex like McDonald's hamburgers. And our culture is really uptight about McDonald's hamburgers, but it's not uptight at all about cheap sex. As born-again believers, I want to understand that I'm not devaluing sexuality. I'm also not saying that it's all a dirty thing. I'm saying it's a precious, very priceless gift. We, Mary and I did a beautiful, uh, a beautiful celebration in the Mexican culture with one of the precious daughters from our church. Her family had her 15th birthday. And in their culture, they have a marvelous big birthday party. And, and the dads and the moms and the brothers and their friends recognize that a girl is now an adult. And Mary and I, for an hour and a half, listened as family members expressed how much they viewed this woman, this young woman, as a princess, but also challenged her to be pure and to, and to honor the beautiful gift the Lord had given her. That's what we need to recapture as born-again believers. We treat it with great value, that we teach our kids from the time they're really small that this is a very powerful, precious thing. Like in my own life, Jonathan and Leslie are coming in from New Haven today. They have two beautiful girls. That comes because Mary and I got married many years ago. And we had relationships together, and it generated Jonathan. And then Jonathan married Leslie, and now he's generated my precious granddaughters. And I'm going to see them. How many think that's valuable? That is really valuable. And then it explodes down through the generation. Everything flows from that, that purity of a family. Your culture is telling people constantly, that's not important anymore. And you're going to decide. The Apostle Paul says, oh, yes, it is. You need to treat your sexuality as a holy thing and as a very honorable thing, as something that has great value. Not, then he contrasts it. Not in passionate lust like the heathen, like the Gentiles, like the pagans, who don't know God. So there should be a big distinction. There should be a distinction between those of us that know God and those of us who don't. It's real important to understand that. And one of the things that really concerns me is a lot of my born-again friends, they're all upset about what's happening in our culture sexually. And they're ready. I mean, they'll march for what's happening like homosexual rights, you know, boy, let's go get them. All the abortions are taking place. I believe we need to be really exercised about that, but I want to tell you something. 
The Apostle Paul wasn't speaking to the unbelieving Thessalonians when he wrote this passage. The Apostle Paul was speaking to believers like us. And those believers like us lived in a pagan society that would make even America blush. And 300 years later, they had transformed. And all that you know, what flowed into the War of Independence and all the Christian influence that you're so thankful for in America flowed because of a group of believers like you living in a very pagan culture said, Paul, we believe you. In our own marriages, we won't go to the temple anymore and have immoral relationships. We're going to raise our kids. We're going to teach them about how to control, take possession of their sexual desires. And by the power of the Spirit, they're not going to use it illegitimately. We're going to celebrate when they come together in marital sexual love, and we're going to encourage them and bless them. The Apostle Paul was speaking to believers like us, and the real movement of the Spirit needs to happen in my heart, and it needs to happen in your heart. There needs to be a mighty movement of the Spirit, because to be honest with you, the sexual morality in the born-again church is just not that much different than in the rest of our country, and that's not going to work. And it's because we have an idea, I can believe in Jesus, and then I can do whatever I want to sexually. What I'm telling you today is, no, you can't. If you have sex outside of marriage, if you tell dirty sexual jokes and you treat a woman or a man in an impure way, watch out. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm really, our culture never will tell you this, but I want to tell you something. The God in heaven tells us If you do that, then God is going to be your enemy. And he's going to judge you. In our culture, nobody says it anymore. But look what the Apostle Paul says. Look what he says. He says says that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother, that you need to realize that when you have sex outside the bounds that God has had for you, like if you're a teenager and you have intercourse with someone that you're not married to, then later on when that man and woman, when you or the woman gets married to somebody else, you have stolen what only belonged to them. None of you think like that, but you have. A woman that should have been a virgin and only for her husband isn't because you defrauded her, you stole her. Same thing for the woman. You stole the man's purity. And none of us think that anymore. You all have the idea. It's just something private we do. This is a normal thing. It's like eating. No, it isn't. You're stealing. You're actually defrauding your brother. In our church family, if there's not purity, like if you are involved in small groups and you start to be attracted to someone else and then you go to bed with somebody and commit adultery. Mary and I just heard of another situation where men and women on a church staff had adulterous relationships. That doesn't do anything in a church family, does it? Everybody lives happily ever after. We all say, oh, that's marvelous that that this pastor, you know, got involved with that woman, and that woman loves him, and and they they were really true to themselves. Is that what you really believe? You know what I really deal with? People angry. A husband that wants to kill another man. A wife who's broken and crying and and will start to move into nervous breakdowns. It's not a pretty picture. You really do defraud each other when you're not pure sexually. You never do it just privately. 
you always hurt someone else. And your culture tells you your little kids are being taught from the time they're little kids. You can't trust anybody. They're just in it for themselves. They just do what their selfish desires want to do. And we train our kids, it's okay to steal what would belong to someone else. It's okay to defraud. And the Apostle Paul is saying to early first century believers, no, it isn't. And what I challenge you, how are you going to live? What are you going to believe? The Apostle Paul goes on and says, the Lord will punish. This is what I was telling you. The Lord will punish men and the women would be included for all sins, as we've already told you. And we warned you, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects his instruction does not reject man, but God, who's given us the Holy Spirit. God, if you've received Jesus in your heart, the Holy Spirit is in your heart today to give you control over your sexual desires and to use them only in the way that bring glory to the Lord. Do you believe that? Is the Holy Spirit stronger than our sinful passions? What do you think? So we need to decide how we're going to live today. The apostle says, now about brother they love. We do not need to write anything to you about this, but you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Notice again how positive he is. So he, he talked, once again, he's coming back as we really love. I think most of you really want to love each other. You want to bless each other. You don't want to hurt each other sexually. The Apostle Paul's alluding to that. He's saying, now live in the Spirit. Now we're going to talk to him about something else. You've been taught by God to love each other, and in fact, you do love your brothers throughout all of Macedonia. Yet we urge you, do this more and more. Just like he did before he talked to him about sexual purity, he now is encouraging them. You are being blessed. I want to bless you today. You're living in this. Then he talked to them about a really tough issue. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So what does the Apostle Paul say to my friend that was living with his mom and dad in California? Number one, he confronts him and says, you're going to be judged by the Lord. There needed to be a daddy in that home that says, you can't do this. I'm not going to pay for that. Now the Apostle Paul, I want you to see how two things are united, sexually immoral. Now what's the person doing? In these verses, they're not minding their own business. They don't work with their hands. How many of you got up early in the morning this week and went to work? Okay. A lot of you did that. That's such a horrible thing for you to have to do that. In fact, what really all of you should be able to do is you should be able to sleep in always. And you should be able to watch TV. You should be able to enjoy nice meals. And we'll all live happily ever. We'll all live in utopia. If we do that, what's going to happen? I want you to listen to me. Early believers, there were early believers in the Thessalonian church that said, I love you. You're my brother in Christ. And it's kind of like in the movies, you always have the relative that moves in with his brother. The Paul is describing the believer in Thessalonians. Some of them were saying, hey, I'm a brother. We're family. I'm moving in with you. And they eat your food. They sleep in your bed. They watch your TV. 
And a whole lot of you, you're, some of your adult kids tell you, mom and dad, you screwed up so badly when I was being raised, I am screwed up. And so that's why I need to live with you. And that's why you need to work because it's all your fault. And you all sit there laughing. It's not funny. You all believe that stuff. And you know what you're doing? You're not loving your child. That 21-year-old, he'll never turn away from immorality, and he'll get venereal disease. And his drunkenness is going to take out his liver. And I'm going to go and visit him when he's 50 years old, and 50-year-old guys that go clubbing every night in L.A. are not that attractive. And he's going to be lonely, and he's going to be weeping, in a veteran's hospital if he was a military guy. And it's going to be really sad. You understand what I'm saying? You know what Paul had the guts to say? He says, every one of us, since Adam and Eve fell, we earn our living by the sweat of our brow. So what that means is, if you're a believer, one of your obligations is, you're supposed to get up in the morning you're supposed to work with your hands. You say, well, Dave, I've been out of work. Some of you say, well, I'm a husband. I'm out of work. And you're probably very depressed about it. I want to ask you, if you're a husband out of work and you've been looking for jobs, what have you been doing at home? Is your garden plot in the backyard? Has it been watered? Have you grown tomatoes? Have you grown squash? Do you know how much money that saves? Because you're not working and your wife is in a lot of reversal roles right now in our culture, as you as a husband, while you're looking for work, do you vacuum the house, clean the toilets? In other words, have you used these hands to make that home work? And if you haven't, you're not going to find a job. Because you haven't learned yet how to be a starter. And I could use it the other way. If you're a woman and you're not producing, you're not working, you're not doing anything, your life's going to self-destruct. You're going to be emotionally down. You're going to get depressed because the Lord has built you that there's a connection, that you work with your hands and then you feed your body. So what does this mean? If you have an adult child living in your home and they're acting immorally, and they are drinking too much, and they are taking drugs, the Apostle Paul is telling you, as a dad, you go to them and you say, son or daughter, I want you to know, I love you with all my heart. And because I love you and I have appealed to you, I've asked you to live purely. I've asked you not to get drunk. The Scripture is really clear about that. You can yell it, scream at me about how you don't buy my values. That's fine. That's your choice. But I'm not paying the bill. I want every one of you to listen to me. I'm not going to pay the bill for you to sin. So I want you to pack your bags, and I'm going to take you where you want to go. I'll take you to a mission. If you don't know where to go, I'm going to take you down to downtown Dallas or downtown Fort Worth, a block away from the mission. So when you get really hungry and when you get cold at night, 
you can go to the mission. But I ain't paying the bill anymore. I want you to listen really strongly as a church fan. If you put food on the table for a moral person, a drunken person, a person that's taken drugs, if you put a bed for them to sleep in, if you pay their bills, then you're involved in criminal activity. You are enhancing their evil, wrong behavior. I know that you love them, and I want to speak to you moms. There's a lot of moms because you didn't want your kid to grow up. Because part of growing up, I've told you my story. I was out when I was 13, and it was scary. But you know what? I learned if I didn't get out and sell books, I arrived in L.A. with $15 in my pocket, and that wasn't going to last long. And it was at night. You know what I did? I took my case of book and started knocking on doors. And rather than being a negative thing, that's how I learned that God could provide for me, that God could use my skills. Do you know how hard that is, moms? It's hard for a boy. It's hard for a girl to learn, I need to make it happen myself. And we've got an adult culture of young adults. No one's ever challenged them that you kind of make it happen. You got to do it. It doesn't just happen. Gardens don't just grow. You got to plow them. You got to plant seeds. You have half of them die, and then you start over again. And it's really hard, but then you get to eat the sweet fruit. Paul is saying that that basic principle of living is true in our life. And so some of you today need to say, as a mom, I'm going to stop. Some of your husbands have tried to say, we're not going to do this anymore with your adult kids. And you've blocked them. So some of you wives need to say, honey, I'm really sorry. I will let you be strong, and I will stand with you. In our church family, we have a whole lot of moms and dads that have gone through that. And doing this for a long time, I have moms and dads that have said, this is the hardest thing we're ever going to do but our child is now old enough and they're acting rebelliously, sinfully. We don't need to have slam doors. We don't need to have arguments. They want to be on their own. They're on their own. But we're not going to keep supporting people that don't work with their own hands. As I close, I want you to know, I'm telling you, people that are sick, people that are on their deathbed. They need our help. But our compassionate Christian value of helping those that are poor doesn't mean helping someone that's lazy. And that's what the Apostle Paul has this marvelous balance. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, Paul talks to us about some really tough things. It cuts across a lot of what our culture tells us. Lord, as a pastor teacher, I know that my brothers and sisters sitting before me have heard a lot of advice that totally contradicts what I said today. Lord, I want to pray that they would realize that it's not what I said. They need to study your authoritative command. 
All that I've tried to do is to express to them what your spirit has put on my heart. I want to bless each young person that's trying to live purely, that is viewing their body as your temple. I want to bless each single person who's trying to live against the tide and they really buy into what we learned today. Give them strength, Lord. Give them blessing. I pray, Lord, for each person here that in this struggling economy, they'd love to be able to work with their hands. But man, it's hard to find something. I pray, Lord, that we would be a family that encourages them. I pray that you would protect them from falling into despair. But I also pray, Lord, that you'd protect all of us from being lazy and not doing the things that we need to do. Father, I thank you for the incredible wonder that your inspired word speaks to us in such a balanced way, such an honest way, such a truthful way. You've said in this passage that the Holy Spirit is in their life to help them now to be able to live out what they learned from their daddy in heaven. I pray, Lord, that you would help them now to go out in their real life and through the power of the Spirit to be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray.